children. The scriptures teach us that, do they not? Job even. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrected. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty, for he maketh sore, and bindeth up, he woundeth, and his hands make whole. He will deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. Read this again and again in Hebrews, quoting from Proverbs, that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He chastens his children. In fact, if you're not chastened, you're a bastard. You're not a son of God or a daughter of God. You're not a child of the Father in heaven. You're illegitimate. Even Zophar the Amethyte, one of uh, Job's supposed friends, said, should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy boastings make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou sayest, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. Job needed to talking to him. And then he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserves. Less than thine iniquity deserves. Am I being punished? I trow not. I believe not. I certainly believe not. Would not that be double jeopardy? To imagine for a, for a child of God to be experiencing punishment? God who is absolutely holy and righteous in all His ways cannot, because He will not, punish sin twice. Jesus bore His people's sins. They will not be born again. This might be the doctrine of purgatory. But it is not our doctrine. It would be to make God unjust to punish sin twice. He is the absolutely righteous one. It would be claiming that the work of Jesus Christ is insufficient. He perfectly, Jesus Christ perfectly satisfied God's justice for His people. To imply that the death of Jesus Christ is other than perfectly sufficient and satisfying is as would be taking upon yourself that doctrine of that apostate church, that doctrine that they teach their slaves. That they must satisfy God's justice themselves in purgatory. God does not punish his people for the sins that Jesus Christ has borne the punishment for. Now here's an example of punishment. And now, cursed art thou from the ground which hath opened his mouth 
to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee its strength. A fugitive and a wanderer shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto Jehovah, My punishment <coughs> is greater than I can bear. John has told us in an epistle that Cain was of the evil one. And here we see that he was more concerned about his punishment than he was about being cast out forever from the presence of God. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Paul tells us what punishment looks like too. At the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with the angels of his power, in flaming fire rendering vengeance, to them that know not God, and to them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who shall suffer punishment, even eternal destruction from the face of the Lord, and from the glory of His might. That's not chastening. That's punishment. Again, similar sounding like punishment, meted out to Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter tells us that the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to keep the righteous, the unrighteous, that is, under punishment unto the day of judgment. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and one of those ways that he knows how to do that is by chastening, teaching, disciplining. That's what he does for his people. They're chastened, but they're not punished. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen, we're told in Hebrews 11.1. 1. David is experiencing this, looking around. Everything looks like he's being punished. How does he know the difference? Through faith, Is David not one of those in the catalog of faith in Hebrews 11? Upon what did he base? Where did he place his faith in John 3.16? No. As wonderful as John 3.16 is, that's not where David placed his faith. But he did place it upon the Word of God, and in David's case, he based it upon the Word of God that we have read from 2 Samuel 12, Jehovah hath put away thy sin. And David's faith and trust was in God, his Father. And he undoubtedly recalled that. Wait a minute. Jehovah said he put away my sin. So this is chastening. It's not punishment. He won't punish my sins because my Savior has taken them upon himself. Jehovah is God who made covenant with him, as we find recorded in 2 Samuel 7, that grand and glorious covenant that he made with David. It was also, as we study it, was also being made with the son of David, the greater son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. David's confidence, his faith was in God's word and his covenant word, and in his covenant faithfulness to his word. 
knew the difference because of that. Through faith, and that faith in the promises is God, his Father. Told him that this is Jason, not punishment. Through faith, that faith in the promises of God and God's covenant faithfulness. The same faith that Paul had. The same faith that any one of us in this room that are in Christ that have received forgiveness and justification through the blood of the Lamb of God. That same faith that we have. Paul had. David had. Paul had faith expressed when he bragged on the promise of God in 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed and I, I know Him whom I have believed and I am persuaded that He is able to guard that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Now we don't imagine that, that David had this verse from 2 Timothy brought to his mind. But nothing's impossible for God. Why couldn't He have? But He, had, he brought the same principle, the same reality, the same truth to his mind. We read again, but when we are judged, the words of Paul here, we are chastened of the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world when we're being chastened. Praise God! It's that I be not condemned with the world. How can I abhor this chastening? How can I resent it? God's keeping me from being condemned with the world. When we are chastened and scourged, it comes from love. Our Father will chasten us and scourge us rather than give us up. As many as I love, the church at Laodicea was told in Revelation 3, I reprove and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now we all know what that verse is used for so often. as some kind of an invitation to come down to God. But here it's God. It's our Lord Jesus Christ telling as many as he loves, he reproves and chastens to bring you to repentance. Repentance leads to salvation. Continues your salvation if you're already in Christ. That which God's people have faith in is His Word, His promises. And He is not a man that His Word means nothing. He's not a man that His promises are flexible. He's no pragmatist. He means what He says, and He says what He means. David said in Psalm 118. Jehovah hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over to death. That's exactly what Nathan told him. The sword will not depart from your house, but you shall not die. David's faith laid hold on God's covenant <coughs> faithfulness. His faith laid hold upon God's faithfulness to his word and to his people, to his promises, to his covenants. Psalm 89, 
and called by some the covenant song. The covenant song. The writer of this song speaks immediately and primarily of God's faithfulness in the very first verse. With my mouth I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Let us make that known to all of God's people, his wonderful faithfulness that they haven't learned to get themselves. Be like Ezra, or Ethan the Ezraite, sorry. And then these words are found in context with his covenant. In verse 3, the very next verse almost, the Ezraite person personates Jehovah saying, I have made a covenant with my chosen. <laughs> Speaking of David, but if you're in Christ, you're his chosen. And so this applies to each and every one of us that have been given the gift of faith to receive our Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Thy faithfulness, the psalmist goes on, wilt thou establish, having made a covenant with his chosen David, his servant. Jehovah's covenant faithfulness is the ground of David's faith, of his certainty that he's not being punished. Because God cannot lie. Thomas Goodwin said of, of this psalm, whatever he does, and of these words in particular, whatever he does, God, he is mindful of his faithfulness and his covenant before and behind and on each side. He's in the midst of his faithfulness, is what Goodwin is talking about. He's in the midst of his faithfulness. We can imagine when we, when we see a visions of God and how he's wrapped in this and wrapped, he's wrapped in his own faithfulness as well. He dwells in the midst of his faithfulness. He's ever mindful of his covenant promises. But my faithfulness and my loving kindness shall be with him. Ethan began this song. My loving kindness will I keep for him forever. Never mind that the sword will not depart from me. God said. My loving kindness will I keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. Or it could be rendered, be faithful with him. My covenant shall be faithful with him. His covenant promise is such that, that he may refer to it as faithful with him. I will visit their transgressions. Their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor after the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. God, who cannot. Even as God's integrity requires that he make use of the chastening of God. 
his integrity of love for his people, his determination to bring them, to sanctify them by the truth, his word. Even as his integrity requires that he make use of the chastening rod, his loving kindness will never be taken away because he will never allow his faithfulness to fall to the ground. Never will he break his covenant. Never will he change what he has spoken. He is immutable. He changes not. His compassions, they fail not. He has sworn by his holiness that which he has spoken and he cannot lie. He will not lie because he cannot lie. He cannot lie because he will not lie. He has sworn by his holiness. Charles Spurgeon in his own way I believe sums this message up in just several words. We believe in the gospel rod not in the penal sword or the adopted son. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for how through thy word, by thy spirit, thou hast convinced us even more of thy love, thy faithfulness. In loving those whom thou hast set thy love upon from before the foundation of the world. O Lord God, thou hast wrapped thyself in faithfulness. Help us to wrap ourselves in thy faithfulness. To wrap ourselves in thy love. To wrap ourselves in thee through Jesus Christ. Amen. To please rise to the benediction. the words of Paul in Romans 5. Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have had our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God.